Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Hello, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Um, uh, and uh, one of the reasons why uh, I, I'm good today is, uh, listeners, uh, Nia and I are continuing our series about federal government cabinet departments. Get and, your uh, kicks yeah. on Route 66. Uh, so Nia is serenading <laughs> us with songs about various highways. Um, with, it, um, uh, Ramblin' Man, there have been some great highway songs. Ramblin' well, Man mm-hmm. and the one about the one with the Eagles, uh, Take It Easy. Yes. Standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay. um, um, uh, and of course, Highway to Hell. Fantastic song. Uh, yes, or Stairway to Heaven. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose stairs are a form of transportation. Okay. So we're talking okay. about the Department of Transportation known yes. as the D-O-T. The um, I, yeah. I, I, it's interesting to me how some departments, like nobody refers to the Department of Treasury as DOT, even though technically it would also be a DOT. DOT. It's just called Treasury. Yep. Yeah, that's how people, people don't use, they don't leave, they don't use Department of, they just say it's Treasury. Yeah. Right. Yes. And as our, we noted with agriculture, USDA, right? That's yes. a common, and, and the Department of Transportation is always DOT. DOT. Yes. And in Virginia, DOT. Yes. Right. And in Pennsylvania, it's PennDOT. Uh, right, Department of Transportation. Right, nobody says okay the full you know the full name. Right, it's always we get the abridged acronym. <laughs> okay, um, it, 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 it went to also very surprising is again uh, th- this is a running theme uh, through this series, Nia. Um, maybe you were aware of this. And again, I got my PhD in public administration and policy, okay? I kind of study this kind of stuff. I did not know the Department of Transportation is, oh, you can't say it's a baby. It's it's a juvenile department. And I don't mean that there's a whole bunch of- <laughs> people who, It's who a teenager. Working. Okay, but it's a young department. It, it is a young department. It was not created until 1966. Of all the things the Johnson administration did, and I'm familiar with like most of them, I was completely unaware until we did research for this particular episode that it did not achieve formal cabinet department status until the mid 60s. I think we're, well, listeners, we're entering that part of this um, series where things are now starting to be in what we think of as the modern. Yes, modern the modern government. state, modern yes. government, right? Yep. And that's um, sort of post civil civil rights. Sort of now we're going to get several departments that yes. are part of that um, cycle of yes. American history. But it it I for some reason thought that it was under Eisenhower. Eisenhower. 
And I think it's because of the department. It's because the highway system, system. right? So I just assumed highway system. Yes. I just assumed somebody was in charge of that, but apparently not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I just, so when I saw that in your notes, I was like, oh, I don't, does Augie have that right? Like I, I, I have to admit because I'm a librarian, I, I fact checked you on that and i was like of course he of course he's right but but it was kind of weird because it's a federal highway administration in the eisenhower era and you build a bunch of highways but apparently you don't you don't have anybody to manage them yeah (laughs) and by the way it wasn't just the federal highway administration the sheer number of subunits i think this is the most subunited is that even a word? But you know what I mean. There's got the most sub agencies yes. under a department of, I think, of any of them, at least the ones we've seen so far. I mean, it is just, in listeners, this is going to take a while. <laughs> can I can I just say though? Wait before we go on. Yes. That that anybody who doesn't think that President Johnson didn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't realize that the first official day of operation of the Department of Transportation was April 1st, 1967. <laughs> yes. April Fools, right? Like, that's a great, I think that's funny. That's well, funny to me because, you know, it just shows a tiny little quirk of, yeah, in, 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 of Johnson. In, in nobody, <laughs> nobody in Congress you know, went ahead and said, let's start it on March 30th, or let's start it April on April 2nd, 30, right? <laughs> right. They're yeah. like, April 1st. That'll be memorable. Yes, right? So, anyway. Yeah. Okay, so. Uh, but you're going to tell us the organization, right? Because it's, oh, yeah, it's a the, the, yeah, the, billion administrations. And these are significant, right? So you have, um, uh, the Department of Transportation has the Office of the Secretary, and 11 individual operating units, including the Federal Aviation Administration, the infamous FAA, which, uh, listeners, is the second largest unit in terms of budget, but it has the most employees, okay? And by the way, we're not talking about the screeners, okay? That's TSA. Yeah, that that is, you know, the, uh, the TSA. But the guys in the tower are FAA, aren't they? Completely FAA, right? right? Yes. And we will get back to the FAA because they infamously attempted to strike during the Reagan administration. <laughs> and then Yeah. And we'll we'll come back to that cuz foreshadowing, that's an interesting thing that happened yes. there. Now, we also have uh, the aforementioned Federal Highway Administration. Um, by the way, nobody refers to it as the FHA, because as we talked about in our previous episode, the FHA is the Federal Housing Authority. (laughs) But this is the largest unit in the Department of Transportation in terms of budget. And the reason why, and many of my students don't recognize this, the federal gasoline tax is collected by the FHA or the Federal Highway Administration, which then gets relocated to the states via a very compli- complicated formula, 
which has been readjusted by the United States Congress at least a dozen times. So, Mia, when you- Because the federal government keeps part of it, but then they give part of it to the states states because as the aforementioned VDOT, when 19, so if you got Highway 95, Highway 95 runs from Maine to Florida and it passes through all those states, right? The federal government doesn't come in and fix the highway. The state government comes in and fixes the highway with federal money. The federal money says, they say, okay, this chunk of 95 gets repaved or re or widened or a bridge gets built over it or whatever. The states don't have to pay for that because it's a federal highway. Yes. They, they get that money from the tax, but then the this feds keep part of it for administration of highways that or other roads that they do administer. Like it's a weird, whoa, it's whoa. very complicated to figure out who's actually doing the road work. When you pass those guys next to the barrels and they're holding the signs and they're trying, they're working for somebody, but I'm not entirely certain well, that we always know who. It's a really good example of, uh, of uh, cooperative federalism, Nia, because so Nia, you go to the uh, 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 to the pumps to fill up um, uh, your automobile, right? Right. And what a lot of Americans don't understand is within the price per gallon is the cost of the petroleum, of the gasoline, and then there's going to be a state tax, and then there's going to be a federal government tax. And it's the federal government share that goes to the Federal Highway Administration. And, and then, the state share goes to local roads. Yes. Okay. So and, that's the potholes in Richmond, thank you very much, that try to eat my car on a regular basis. Or the state deciding to, you know, build a new state road uh, because you have relocation of people within the state, right? Right. There's more right. people in the western end of the state. We have to have better roads out there or we have to have a new road out there. Okay. And those are states. And also things like buses, like buses and light rail, all that stuff gets a lot of that gets funded through tax, through gas tax as well. Okay. But when the feds then send the money back to the states via this complicated formula, then the states have their own procurement process where they accept bids from contractors to do work on federal interstate highways, right? Right. So (laughs) when Nia goes ahead and says, we don't know know, where the money's come from. Well, technically we know at some point in time, the money came from that gallon of gasoline you purchased to fill up your car. Right. But the number of hands that it goes through that it goes through is truly phenomenal, right? And it's a really good example of cooperative federalism because the feds, okay, don't send federal government workers, okay, to Manassas, Virginia to work on a little chunk of the federal interstate, right? Right. They That's contracted out to but well, this, it's it's starts it's, at V dot and then sometimes it's contracted out and sometimes it's V dot and it depends on the size of the yes. Of, and what they're doing, VDOT doesn't necessarily have people who build bridges, so they hire a company that builds bridges. That's and, right. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a yeah. whole thing. So here are some other uh, subunits uh, or units within uh, 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 DOT. 
So you have the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. <laughs> Motor carriers would be buses. That's right. Okay, buses. Then you got the Federal Railroad Administration. Amtrak, we're looking at you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Then you have the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Yeah, those are the people who determine how fast you can drive on an exit. Yes. Right? They, they, they yes. see little signs that say 35 miles an hour on the exit, and you're trying to take it at 60. And then you're like, oh, they were right. They were right. They were right. As you try not to run off the road. That's those guys test that. And this is also the agency that gets called in when there is a, oh, um, a 50 car pile up on a right. state. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then you have the Federal Transit Administration. So these are the this is the unit that goes ahead and is designed to promote, okay, um, uh, uh, if you will, public transportation. Yes. Okay. Then we have the Maritime Administration because there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, gets shipped, and there's a whole bunch of you know there's a leisure industry that is about boating. Right. And there's also ferries that move people from one place to another, which is another form of public transit. Yes. Then we have the St. Lawrence Seaway Development Corporation. <laughs> That's very specific. Yes. Okay. This particular river, yes. seaway, whatever you want to call it, yep. gets, okay. Then we have a Research and Special Programs Administration. Always. Yes. You know, this uh, is R&D. Yeah, this in is every the, department. This is their R and D. Yes. Then we and and, and then this next unit, okay, is near and dear to uh, Nia's heart. Yep. The, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. I love the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. I love the idea that we try to have any idea how many cars are on the road, how many people got killed in car accidents, right? But just all kinds of transportation. Is it? You know that question they used to give you in math class where they're like, one person leaves at, leaves, you know, Petersburg at this number of miles an hour and needs to be in Washington. Well, that's figuring out the train system. <laughs> and they can tell you whether it's faster to go by car, faster to go by bike, faster. It's really cool. There's a lot of cool stuff. Time of day, you know. Right. Okay. Right. And what time of day more people have accidents, what kind of intersections more more people have accidents at all those kinds of things which help us improve road safety as much as we can, considering, you know, that well, Americans yeah. drive like crazy balls sometimes. And this is also the agency within DOT that will go ahead and uh, uh, conclude whether or not a particular interstate um, uh, needs maintenance. Right. Because of the, the sheer volume of traffic. I mean, this is the this is the agency within DOT that tells us, OK, whether or not a particular road just based on its traffic. Needs to be widened, needs to, needs be, to be wind or needs to be repaved or we need to go ahead and put down concrete bases. OK, et cetera, et cetera. OK. And then we have the last one, the Surface Transportation Board. This is a board that is comprised of government officials, interest groups, um, uh, uh, business and trade associations, 
to come up with policy suggestions for the nation's transportation system. Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, TSA used to be part of, part of that, right? Yes. Part of the Surface Transportation Board? Yes, but when we had the 9-11 attacks, okay. And we get the Homeland Security Act. Okay, then we had this huge expansion of wanting to um, surveil individuals right. before they got on airlines. And I and a lot of um, DHS, a lot of the Department of Homeland Security was snow globing the rest of the government and figuring out what needed to be yes a part of security yeah, as opposed because, to other things. I mean, because if you think about this, you know, immigration in customs enforcement used to be part of other departments. Right. FEMA was a standalone independent agency. Well, and several of the um, uh, intelligence sub-agencies got moved into DHS. Yes. So so as part of the history, can we note for the the record that... um, you have in your notes the first known proposal to create a DOT occurred during the Wilson administration. Yes, because in the Wilson administration, what new form of transportation? I was going to say, isn't that when we get large-scale production of vehicles? I mean, yes, we should recognize for just for historical purposes, Henry Ford did not come up with the idea for a vehicle. That no. was in Europe twenty yes. years earlier. What he did was come up with the way to. Mass produce. Mass produce them so yes. that the average American could eventually get a vehicle. And at the beginning, it was not the average American. It was wealthy Americans. But now, it's such a car culture oh. that even even the working poor often have a car. Yes. I mean, and, and, then, and that was his signal contribu- contribution. And, and there are some who lament Okay, Henry Ford's contribution, and there are others who are just like, you know, God bless Henry Ford, but his signal contribution was the mass production of affordable automobiles. Okay. And we do recognize as part of this Department of Transportation history uh, and the importance of the automobile and the problematic nature of Henry Ford's personal politics. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, anti Semitic. Yes, I mean highly supportive of Hitler. Yes, okay. right. He was not a particularly nice man, and he was also not just a particularly nice man personally. He did a lot of union busting. He did a lot of injuring of individuals. Yeah, I mean, because from Henry Ford's perspective, I gave you a job, which allowed you to go out and buy a home, buy one of my cars. Okay, what else do I am I supposed to provide for you? Right. <laughs> I mean, but he also like set yes. standards where people had to go to church and they had to do all kinds yes. of stuff. It's really interesting, um, his personal history. But uh, but regardless of how you feel about him as a human being, and I think he's extremely problematic as a human, he did create or he did oh, the, found an industry that yes, I mean, has been the backbone of American consumerism and has been the backbone of capitalism. I mean, the before a car... People could not travel for work particularly far. Yes. You could go as far as a horse could take you in a day. And that's why 
uh, urban uh, designers, or, um, you know, uh, and, and environmentalists, okay, lament, right, Henry Ford, because because of because of the automobile, uh, then you saw the creation of suburbs. Okay. Right. And you saw urban sprawl and you see yes. all kinds you, of things. You know, and you see a huge loss of public transportation because we leave things like trolleys and and oh, cable yeah, cars yeah. behind. I mean, I mean, this is part and parcel an element of American culture, right? Right. I mean, uh, you know, Nia, earlier this week, um, I read that um, the state of California, you know, shut down uh, work on the purple line of the public um, subway system for Los Angeles, right? <laughs> um, and in part, okay, um, they've been trying to go ahead and build that out for decades. But in LA and for most of the state of California, you tried to convince a Californian to give up their car. Right. right. Although we'll see what happens when they can't buy you know, gasoline fueled cars anymore. That'll be, uh, that'll be fascinating. But um, but can we move on? so so there we get so then we get Johnson and one of the things about LBJ that you put in here that I just love is that he basically sent a note to Congress saying I, I, the way I took it was if you don't sign this I'm going to be forced to break your kneecaps wouldn't it just be better with for everybody oh, he if you just signed off on this he's he's <laughs> he did that thing where he loomed over them like he does collectively in all the pictures right where yeah. he... <laughs> you know because what you're referring to is there was lbj's treatment where he wanted to right. individual <laughs> member of congress but with this message that he sent to congress okay he was giving the treatment to the collective body okay <laughs> And in, in, in this particular case, his threat was, I'm going to embarrass Congress with the sheer number of fatalities, okay, and lost business productivity because we can't get our act together in regards to um, creating uh, a more uniform, safer, um federal transportation system that was his threat i'm going to publicly <laughs> embarrass you guys right because his point was we've now had roughly 45 years 40 plus years of of of, of automobiles of creating a national highway system of you know states basically competing with one another you know, who's got the best road system, who's got the most dangerous, what state has the most potholes, okay, who has the worst drivers. Johnson was just like, but those are all negatives. Well, and by 1965, a huge number of people owned cars. Like, yes, okay. I'm sure that he was also saying, we can't just have the Wild West with this anymore. We need an administration. We that gathers that has a structural yes. response to transportation needs instead of haphazardly. Because before that, you're talking about all of those agencies being separate, all the things Augie just mentioned being separate entities when that weren't created, drawn together. Nia, to your point, when they created D, uh, the uh, Department of Transportation, 
it brought 30 transportation agencies under one roof. And how many employees? Over 95,000. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, that's a huge group of people who were doing who were doing disparate things because yes. they weren't working together on a unified right like I see what Johnson's saying with that he's saying but if we unify this we will have a better plan going forward for yes. American transportation right now we got 95,000 people and they're not working together as a yes. group and we want them to work together as a group but I do think it's interesting that he that he had to threaten Congress, uh, you know. But then again, he also was so um, used to having to do that to get what he wanted. I mean, he had to threaten Congress over the civil rights. He had to threaten Congress over all kinds of stuff. He probably was like, on my list to threaten people today is the Department of Transportation. And, and, and again, you know, for listeners, uh, you know, and, 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 and if you're tired of hearing this, I apologize, but think about this historically. Transportation was typically viewed as a state concern. Right. Okay. So, Which I could see that. I could see until so the federal part, highway system. In part, FDR was forcing members of Congress, many of whom would have to go home and explain why their states, okay, were no longer in charge of X concerning transportation. Um, uh, Augie just said FDR, but he meant LBJ. Oh, oh LBJ, sorry. Well, I mean, FDR might have tried to pull something like that off if he I thought mean, he could have. Yeah, both of those presidents used the same kind of <laughs> logic, which was, hey, right. This the states are no longer taking care of this, so the feds have to step in. Well, they, and don't make me make you go home and tell people why. It, okay, and there was pushback, right? Because again, you know, members of Congress, you can go ahead and they frequently are criticized for becoming Washington insiders, but most of them do go home on a regular basis. <laughs> they know they go home on a regular basis. Because their work week in Washington, D.C. is typically three and a half or four days. Right. And then they go somewhere and they usually go home. <laughs> it's either home or Aruba. Okay, because somewhere. they want to win re-election, right? Right. Okay. And, and in fairness, we say nasty things about Congress people, but they really do a lot of constituent service. services. Because that's what gets them re-elected. But right. if you to go home and explain to okay, a whole bunch of state officials, Hey, you guys are no longer in charge of the ferry system, okay, between our state and another state. Well, you know, you know, it reminds me of the old quote from I Love Lucy. Okay. <clears throat> Lucy, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> exactly. hey, come on, right? Okay. Um, but I mean But the first guy had to organize the ever living crud out of that. Yeah, I'm so sure. Yeah, like here's ninety five thousand employees and thirty agencies why don't you get to organizing that yep i mean that's a that's a big job yeah, uh, secretary boyd okay for two years basically all he did was basically set up the organizational flow chart okay well yeah, yeah i mean okay but it doesn't stop with lbj right because lbj decides not to run for re-election in 1968 Nixon wins, okay, and Nixon, okay, 
again, you, you, get, you have to have a more nuanced, if you will, interpret approach to Nixon, Nixon yep. right? Because Nixon he, gives us Amtrak, doesn't he? Yeah. First of all, he bails out the Penn Central Railroad, okay? Which, you know, for those of us born and raised in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast, Penn Central Railroad, okay, was, you know, the major railroad hub, you know, for the Northeast in the Mid-Atlantic, right? But then he launches Amtrak, okay? This idea that our railroad system could be a government corporation, okay? Right. This is a Republican. Who's <laughs> making government bigger. Well, okay, I, I'm just like, Oh my! I, I, and I, and again, I completely forgot this. And then he encouraged the Department of Transportation to get behind supersonic air travel. Okay, but then he pulls the plug. Okay, because it wasn't cost efficient. Right. It although it's coming back. Yes, it is. There's a theory that it will be more cost efficient. I don't know if this is one of those things where people keep invading Russia thinking that it'll be easier the next time because Napoleon and then Hitler, you just got to stop doing that because yeah, like, it doesn't you know, work. But maybe this supersonic like war in Afghanistan. How many, right. how how many, many countries have to try to do this and before, fail? Fail before they go ahead and say, no, this just isn't a winning situation. We yeah, just can't. you know, what happens in Afghanistan is it's kind of sort of like Las Vegas. It's right. In Afghanistan. Yeah, Good I agree. Vegas, right. Um, but but maybe somebody will make supersonic travel. I mean, the, the problem with that is, uh, you know, people who wanted to take supersonic travel in the 80s and help me with the name of the one that went to France. Um, um, oh, what was the name of that? But that that airline went under basically because people couldn't afford to. So in this world of where people want a $200 plane ticket to Hawaii, I don't know if they can make that, if they can make that work. Um, but anyway. Oh, Concord. Concord. Thank you. Yep. yep. Uh, so, so then, and he, he also gives us, sort of the um starts with so lbj so boyd had to be a bit in your face right oh, yes yeah but but nickton chooses a more moderate yeah he picked secretary it. right he's like just keep the trains running on time boy i hate to make a mussolini reference here because the guy's not mussolini He's, yeah, you're talking about John Volpe, uh, who was the former governor of Massachusetts, who was a moderate Republican. Right. And, and again, this is this is still an era where you saw moderates in both political parties, and they were usually picked by presidents, okay, to run agencies because they understood that you need some you needed somebody with managerial experience, but who could run the department, but understand. The, the kind of sort of executive branch managerial skills that you need to run. And it's a large department. 95,000 people. Okay. And and, it's, and sprawling. And, it covers and, a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just think about the Federal Highway Administration, Nia. They basically got, have to work with all 50 states. Right. 
Okay, I mean, it's not like you can go ahead and set up a regional office and say, okay, we'll go ahead and cover these eight or nine states with this one regional office. No, you basically have to interact with 50 different state department of transportations. And by the way, listeners, all 50 states have departments of transportation. <laughs> right. Which is why occasionally people who run for presidency from the Republican Party go ahead and suggest we should get rid of the Department of Transportation because it's redundant when all 50 states have departments of transportation. Okay. Yes. And there's an argument to be made there. Yeah. Um, okay. But, but so but he picks a moderate, then he's got to resign. And we're talking about Nixon. Right. So you get Ford. Okay. And Ford then basically starts establishing a, a practice that you see throughout the rest of the history of the Department of Transportation. It's cat, the, the secretaries for DOT are usually, okay, people of color. Or women. Okay. Right. A lot of diversity in this a lot in the of secretaries diversity. of this department. Yeah. A lot of presidents use the DOT secretary position to address diversity concerns within their cabinet. Okay. And this this because Ford picks uh, uh William Coleman, uh, he, uh who was African American. And uh, for our listeners, if William Coleman's name sounds familiar, it's because Coleman worked with Thurgood Marshall in the NAACP Legal Defense Fund to bring a whole bunch of school segregation cases to our federal courts and eventually the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. If you've heard yeah. of Brown v. Brown yeah. v. the Board of Education. Yep. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so then, uh, so so you have Ford. And then it's a little quiet, and then we get Ronald Reagan, who has my Libby. Yes. His, Elizabeth Dole. Yeah, his second uh, Department of uh, Transportation Secretary was Elizabeth Dole, or as North Carolinians, North Carolinians uh, 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 are very fond of uh, referring to her, Libby Dole, okay? And Libby Dole was all oh. about... Um, Oh, she, she, first of all, listeners, don't think that Nia and I are saying that these cabinet secretaries, okay, who were picked perhaps for diversity reasons were unqualified. Oh, and because, didn't kick butt when they were in the jobs. Yeah, because, you know, Cole, Coleman was eminently qualified and Libby Dole, okay, Libby Dole could have got, pretty much could have done any federal government job. Right. right? Um, because... Before she was DOT secretary, and I know where Nia wants to go with Libby Dole, okay? You know, drunk driving and federal laws and yep. Supreme Court cases. But before she was DOT uh, secretary, um, she had been an assistant uh, a public liaison, a consumer advisor for two different administrations, a member of the Federal Trade Commission in both the Nixon and Ford administrations, right? I mean, she- She'd been around the box. She knew yes, how government worked. Worked, right? Okay. But then she gets into DOT and she pushes for the reduction of drunk driving. Okay. She also, she's, okay. So the Supreme Court 
basically says we you have to have airbag cars have to have airbags and they have to have restraints passenger yes. restraints um otherwise known as seat belts right and yes. part of that is ralph nader and his in the 70s his crusading about yes. that and saying you know this is wildly unsafe not to be restrained in a vehicle that's going this quickly and may hit another vehicle that could potentially be going this quickly but what dull does is she authorizes the deadline she's like nope we got to get this done instead of dragging her feet instead of pulling that trying to stretch that out which is i'm sure what the companies all said oh no it's going to take us years to be able to re-engineer the car to have all these things she was like well you got six months get on it well it, yeah I mean, it wasn't it, quite six months but yeah it was she it, it was fast. stood up to industry which I'm sure was expecting that a Republican and would woman, be sympathetic. What woman would 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 basically kowtow to their interests? And in right. listeners, Nia is referencing uh, a landmark administrative law case where the Supreme Court in 1983, in the State Farm case, it's the Motor Vehicles Association versus State Farm, where the Supreme Court just came out and said to the Reagan administration, "You can't roll back." what you already proposed as a regulation, which is every new automobile would have to have passive restraints, known as seatbelts, and airbags. And when the Reagan administration lost, Libby Dole, okay, is secretary of the department. And as Nia just described it, she basically said to the automobile manufacturers, okay, the Supreme Court spoken, we're going to implement the ruling and you guys basically have less than a year to tell us in the federal government how you're going to do this. Right. Make Just it happen. Make it happen. Right. The Reagan administration also wanted a reduction in drunk driving and highway fatalities. Okay. So what they did was they used, okay, the federal tax gasoline tax money as leverage with the states. They basically said to the states, if you want your full allotment of federal highway maintenance money, you're going to have to raise your drinking age to 21. And this led to another Supreme Court case, <laughs> South Dakota versus Dole, where South Dakota said, you can't tell us, okay, what our drinking age is, because one, the 10th Amendment, but two, the 21st Amendment, which will repeal prohibition and said that states get to decide, okay, laws and regulations about you know, manufacturing, sale, and distribution of alcohol within our borders. And and if I'm correct, Libby Dole, or they won that, the government won that case by saying, we're not telling you what you have to make your laws. We're just telling you we won't give you money if you That's don't right. do... In the, in the Supreme it, that we can we can attach whatever strings we want to the and, money. Yes, in the Supreme Court, uh, uh, in that case, in a majority opinion written by uh, uh, William Rehnquist, who was a huge supporter of federalism, of states' rights, Rehnquist went ahead and said, South Dakota, you have a choice. And the amount of money that the feds are going to hold back if you don't make the right choice okay, is not coercive. It was like somewhere between five to seven 
five to seven percent. Okay. Right. But now, if they had said it's 50 50, 50 then that would have been coercive. Would have been coercive. Okay. But, but you, but you take five, 7% out of your budget and see how you operate. I mean, yes. it, it was enough to make you sit up and take notice, but you could still function. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, we love Libby Dole. Yeah. I mean, I know that in some, in some instances, she may or may not have been problematic, and there's a whole thing about that. But in North Carolina, she's still a popular. She and was then, still a popular woman. And then she steps down to run her husband's uh, presidential campaign um, in 1988, and he lost out uh, the Republican nomination to the vice president, uh, who ends up being our 41st president, um, uh, uh, the first Bush. Okay, so. Her deputy, uh, deputy okay, uh, 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 Jim Burnley, uh, takes over. And Burnley negotiates the sale of Conrail, privatizes Amtrak, okay, <laughs> transferred Washington, D.C. airports to a regional authority, okay, and he basically busted the strike. Yes. Okay. So for listeners, our so we go from Libby, Libby Dole, who is a much more benign, yes, and moderate figure, to a guy's like, maybe I'll just set fire a little bit to the Department of Transportation, not hugely, but just enough to get its attention. Okay. But but we should note for the record that um, Augie and I were alive during yes. the <laughs> infamous the Air infamous. Traffic. Air, Air traffic, traffic control strike. That's right. So basically, listeners, in the early 80s, uh, a bunch of air traffic controllers, and again, they're employed by the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, went ahead and said, we have these high-stress jobs. We work long hours. Our working conditions are terrible. Our working conditions are terrible. And oh, yeah, by the way, Congress hasn't given us a pay increase in like a decade, which is basically... <laughs> True, right? Right. So they tell the Reagan administration, if you guys don't ask for more money and get us more money, we're going on strike. So they go on strike and the Reagan administration <laughs> says, okay, fine. We're going to replace you with a whole bunch of other air traffic controllers. And the case goes to the federal courts. The striking air traffic controllers lose because Congress never gave them the authority to bargain collectively. And eventually, Burnley is the one who gets tasked. <laughs> and by all accounts, he didn't complain one bit. He gets tasked with basically replacing all of the striking air traffic controllers and does so like within a year. Okay. Again, right. this is another theme within the Department of Transportation. We get secretaries who get stuff done. Yeah. Right? They don't screw around. Yeah. Okay? And and there are arguments to be made that that wasn't the. Oh, it, it, <clears throat> that wasn't particularly best way to go about that. And probably negotiation could have been a. I, I don't know. There were uh, all kinds of issues involved with that. Yes. Um, and we could do a whole podcast, and maybe we will do at some point a whole podcast on sort of government worker strikes and what that 
how that works and what that means. But um, but for a while there, what I recall it meaning for my parents was them saying, we will not get on a plane anytime soon. Right. Oh. There was this whole question about whether the and people who were, were getting canceled and right. the industry was just like losing money and very unhappy. And yeah. And again, the airline industry got deregulated during the Carter administration. And again, a lot of Americans don't understand don't understand that we've had Democratic presidents who have been in favor of deregulating industries, right? Just like we've had Republican presidents, right? Who called for it, but the airline industry may, was making some serious coin in the early 1980s until you get this strike. Right. Because there were many consumers like your parents, Nia, who were like, hey, we're not getting on a plane. We're not getting on a plane. Right. For all I know, my uncle Bob is sitting in that in that tower and he doesn't know what the heck he's doing. Yeah. Okay, And then, yeah, you know, although in fairness to uh, Burnley and Reagan, airplane crashes did not go up. No, they did not. Nope. So, which was what something people thought might happen. Yeah. Is they it, were thinking that it would be relatively disastrous, and it in fact was not. It's not like they went and found people who weren't actually air traffic controllers. No, they what they did was hire out of small airports small and airport. train them into big airports, is basically you know, what they did. Yeah. Yeah. Then, Burnley. Are you going to talk about Mr. Skinner? Oh, yes. Burnley. Mr. Skinner, for whom everything went wrong. Oh, like, right. So uh, 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 Herbert Walker Bush, okay, uh, Reagan's vice president, wins the presidency. And he picks, okay, uh, a guy by the name of Sam Skinner uh, uh, to be uh, a DOT uh, secretary, right? And, and Neo, what was his nickname? The master of disaster. Right, okay. He, he was um, all about... Uh, crisis management response yes okay right think um emergency response right whatever whenever you see governors declare an emergency or something like that this guy was sort of all about how we do that how we manage and it was a good thing that he was interested in it because it happened to him over and over and over i'm, I'm just going to give you the short list of disasters he had to deal with as secretary so there was the um, uh, Pan American Flight 103, which exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland. Which you wouldn't think his, would be his problem, except it was a bunch of Americans and it was headed to the United States. That's right. And it was a terrorist bomb. And in, in, in the... Uh, um, Killed 300 um, pe people? Uh, no. 270. Yeah. Okay. And the... Uh, 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 Scottish government actually asked the American Department of Transportation to help out with the investigation. Okay. Right. Then he had a machinist strike at Eastern Airlines, which at the time I think was the third or fourth largest airline. In the oh, United Eastern. States. What happened to Eastern? Okay. Uh, well, the company, uh, the company went bankrupt. Okay? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. That was in March of 1989. Later on that month, um, the Exxon Valdez oil spill occurred. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. 
and and listeners, if you're interested in the uh, 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 that um, oral spill, we actually have a podcast episode, and I can't remember which season, but we we went ahead and talked about on disasters on disasters, okay, and disaster response. Then you had the Loma Prieta earthquake, okay, uh, which was in California. Wait, that was the one during the World Series. World Series, yes. Caused and, all the highways to pancake. Oh, no, just yeah, just destroyed. And okay. lots of parts of San Francisco sunk because it's yes. all built on like yes, styrofoam or whatever. I don't know what it's built on, but it's built on something geologically that's oh, not just, stable. It, and, yeah, absolutely terrible strata. Okay. But then less than one year later, we had one of the largest hurricanes to hit the mid-Atlantic United States. Oh Kingdom. my gosh. Hurricane, Which one? Hurricane Hugo. Ah, oh, Hugo was terrible. Because <laughs> it basically came ashore in South Carolina and then just basically weaved to all the, over to the ocean back to mainland. Yep. United States back out to the ocean the whole way up the east coast and what it did was soak it was it was a flooding hurricane like in the sense of you get the hurricane damage but you also get an enormous amount of water involved in Hugo and what Um, so what was that like a year and a half of his oh the first 21 months of his uh, (laughs) yes right okay well Hit the ground running, my friend. I remember seeing his face on TV like pretty much a lot every night, right? Okay. And his press conferences, okay, were just like models of efficiency, right? I mean, they are still like teaching how to go. Every government official who's put in charge of an agency that might have to deal with disasters should watch his press conferences, okay? Because he was so good at first giving out the facts and then just answering question after question. And sometimes the questions were the same, but he would be so patient and he would never get upset with reporters, even though they were trying to get him to give them, you know, some sort of quote that could lead the news. Right. A soundbite. Yes. And he didn't fall for that. He did. He didn't fall for it. He, he was, he was kind of sort of like the Jack Webb character on Dragnet. Just the facts, ma'am. And yeah. and I will say that the the next one, the one for Clinton, um, Pena. Yes, Frederico. Pena did not do that. He no. was more. Um, oh, he was yeah more high profile. Um, he, he he also was more. Uh, um, impatient with uh if i recall his press conferences correctly um he was a little more impatient with uh sort of the seeking of a gotcha moment like he was like no i'm not here to do that i'm just here yes to get it done and move on his were very short i I seem to recall yes um but he's our first Uh, hispanic uh, american uh, to serve yep and then uh, after that, uh, Clinton picked, um, uh, uh, and this was widely praised, uh, a former federal highway administrator, uh, Rodney Slater, um, who was the second African-American after William Coleman. And 
And I remember um, uh, uh, Slater because Slater created the Ice-T program, um, which was uh, uh, this program designed um, to encourage um, local communities to seek out federal dollars for public transportation programs. Okay. So, um, oh, improving, improving streets in streets and regional transportation systems to encourage economic development. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and at this point, um, in my bureaucratic career, I was doing a lot of economic development work, and we were frequently applying for ICE T uh, money. Um, and it's actually the acronym is IS. T-E-A. <laughs> cool. Um, but um, uh, Slater also made sure that there wasn't a strike with Amtrak, okay? And that would have been the, it. so if that's in the 90s, that's all the merging and the whole yes. corporate takeover. Yes, yes. Companies doing all that mess. Oh, yes. Was uh-huh. happening right where you have, Yep. Um, a, a lot of corporate mergers at that time in the in the 90s. That's the boom in the 90s before you get the sort of crush in the 2000s. Yep. Um, and then the, the last DOT secretary uh, I'm going to mention um, was uh, Norman Mineta, who was actually a Democratic member from Congress representing uh, uh, a district in California. He was uh, the first Japanese American, um, uh, and uh, uh, he was he, under Bush, right? Yeah, Bush forty-one, um, um, and he was in charge of DOT uh, when the nine eleven attacks occurred, and he rather remarkably avoided a lot of the blowback because technically, okay, it was his department, okay that allowed airplanes to be used as weapons. I mean, technically, except that nobody yeah. had any idea that was gonna, you know, yeah. like that we've we've heard over and over in the 9-11 Re- commission report that that was a failure of imagination. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it, an interesting thing to note about him is that he was, he was in a relocation camp as yeah. a child yeah. during World War II. Um, which interesting that we call them relocation camps in the United States and they called them concentration camps in Germany, right? But yeah, I, I discussed that in my con law class. We while were, people were not starved, particularly in our camps, they were also not treated as humans. They were not treated as Americans. They were treated as they were free. I mean, right. If you're being held there, it's prison. You can't yes. leave. Like, okay, let's I mean, let's relocation camp makes it sound like or an internment. Okay, I, like I, you're going to go have a good time. That's you know, not you know you know, you know yeah. George George Orwell. You know you know infamously wrote an essay about how language is used to make the you know despicable palatable. Right. right. Okay. Uh, yes, our enemies, you know, uh, uh, placed individuals in concentration camps. We placed them in relocation camps, right? Yeah. How, uh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. mean, we didn't put them to death. That's yes. 
Um, can we mention a couple of other secretaries before we yeah, go on yeah, to criticisms? Yeah. So Elaine Chow. Yes. Um, who served in Bush 43 and then served for Trump. Yes. And she yeah. is the um, uh, significant she's other. She's the spouse of, of Mitchell, Mitch McConnell. Yes. Yes. Which um, is impressive. Yeah. Um, and then Pete Buttigieg, who is the current, as we are recording this, I mean, that could change tomorrow, but as we are recording, because, you know, people people sometimes just drop out of the government, but he's the first openly gay cabinet, cabinet. secretary. And so I like that transportation has a history of diversity, but it is a history of bringing diversity. in bringing in all kinds of voices. That's one of the positives of it. And, it, and, it's, and it's more than just diversity. And, and this is something that I, I, I try to express to my students. Diversity does not mean unqualified individuals. Oh, every one of those people was highly qualified. I mean, I'm reading a list here. And you're Lane Chow had been, had been Secretary of Labor. Like she... Yeah, right. Okay. You know, you don't get all of these government positions simply because of who you know or who you might be married to or because you are the first of X group, right? Or even if you do, you don't stay there. Like no. we're, we're talking about our people who have been successful in these jobs because they are talented individuals. Yes, okay. You and know, it, you, if it, you hire for the wrong reasons, you will, you will not do well. But if you hire for the right reasons, if you hire someone who's talented. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, because I... I, I you know, as I was doing research for this, Nia, I mean, I'm like, wow, okay, talent, right? You know, in, in you know, in Skinner, for instance, the master of disaster, right? I was just yeah. like, okay, this isn't mere nostalgia on my point or on my part. Okay, this is a guy who, I mean, these were significant crises, and there's like nary a bad word said about the dude, right? Well, and like even Manetta during a time of deep crisis in the United States was very calm, was a yes. very calm individual. Yes. Yes. He projected it's going to be fine, yes. right? It's going to all be fine. Yes. Um, so criticisms, I know that um, <clears throat> we already talked about one, which is that, that it should be in the purview of the states to deal with transportation. And maybe you and I could do a whole like sort of what should be in the states and what should be in the federal <laughs> government at some point. Yeah. But my argument, my criticism, and, and I know we don't want to go on and on, but I, my criticism for the Department of Transportation is crumbling infrastructure. Like mm -hmm. y'all need to fix stuff. Yeah. You need to fix the bridges. You need to fix the roads. Every time I drive across a pothole, I think nasty thoughts about VDOT, right? Like in Virginia. Um, but don't, I also do it in North Carolina. I think of it in CDOT. So I, I'm a equal opportunity grumpy about the Department of Transportation person when I, when I see the damage that some of these, like I wonder sometimes where the heck's the money going? If the Department of Transportation, like many of the departments that we have discussed in this series, Nia, have at times conflicting purposes or missions. Exactly. Because the business community wants a good transportation system so they can ship commerce and make money, right? right? They want their workers to be able to get to work 
Okay, they want to be able to attract good workers who don't get stuck in, you know, traffic jams for an hour and a half to work and an hour and a half from work, right? right. On the other hand, consumers don't want to pay in, 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 in egregious in, amounts of taxes at the Okay. But then you also have concerns about um safety, right? How do you go ahead and craft a transportation system um, that does not lead to major injuries and fatalities, right? Right. Then you have climate change issues, because as we've already discussed, the American love of the gas-powered automobile. (laughs) It's slowly destroying the planet. (laughs) Okay. See greenhouse gases. Exactly. Then you got congestion, right? You know, uh, urban sprawl, Americans wasting so much of their lives just sitting in traffic, right? They're not doing anything productive. It increases stress, okay? It harms Americans' physical health because they're sitting in so much, you know, congestion. Then as numerous scholars have pointed out, how we have built our roads, where we have built our roads, okay, either encourages economic opportunity or discourages it. Right. Okay. Um, And let's face it, the Department of Transportation in the late 60s and throughout the 1970s frequently destroyed communities of color, okay, in low-income communities to go ahead and build stuff like, okay, interstates or exchanges right diversity at the top did not translate to equity at the equity in the regular folk that's right okay so this is a department that is reflect one of those ongoing tensions that we've seen in a number of the departments in our series which is they have conflicting purposes and missions right right you know we've seen it in agriculture we saw it with interior right Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have a lot of work to do when I'm president to fix all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that comes down to. Yeah. And then, and then you go ahead and hire somebody like me and say, okay, Augie, okay, fix, fix it. it. And, I'll, <laughs> and I'll be like, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. Fix it, but uh, don't cost me the next election. Yes. Okay. How do you want me to do that? Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you, Augie. It's been an excellent episode, and um, I look forward to our next one. So do I. Um, Thanks, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.